childhood, he would have... Thank you, worship team. Good songs of praise this morning. Glad you could be with us too. See some come back from vacation and far away and quite near. And we've come to the part four of our series on the presence of God. And today it's Aaron's Rod. Before I go on to that, I'd just maybe like to review, because some of you weren't here, and I sort of feel sort of deprived to talk to you. So I'm going to preach all four again there in a sort of an omnibus edition. But if you remember, we started out and we're talking about God's presence as seen in the Ark of the Covenant. The people of Israel, the people of Israel have been slaves in Egypt. God comes and in a mighty way releases them and they go into the desert and they set up a system of moving across. And firstly, God says, you will worship me and you will worship me through a tent of meeting that you'll make. And the centerpiece of that will be this overlaid gold, uh, gold overlaid box, which would uh, represent my presence, the Ark of the Covenant. And the thing we learned there was that it's important to understand that it was a symbol of God's presence. It wasn't powerful itself, but only as they recognized God's presence there. And when in their history that went on, they saw that this was God leading them, then the waters passed and the miracles came. But when they said this box will help us win a war, they lost the war because there's no magic in the box. It's in the presence of the God of the box. And the lesson for us today is sometimes we believe that the things we do in church and the things we say in church will be God's power and presence revealed. But we overlook that it is God himself that we come to worship. It's not the rituals or the ceremonies. They can assist us. They can be helpful. But they are not the power source. Only God is our power source. And they had to learn that in the desert. Then when they got out of Egypt, and uh, they had been fairly well fed and looked after in Egypt, they got here and there to move across the desert. God's plan, having saved them, was to lead them to the fullness that he had for them. And he described it as a land flowing with milk and honey. And so he said, I will feed you in the desert with this stuff called manna, but it won't satisfy you, it will sustain you, because this is not where you need to be. But every day when you go and get it, you will be reminded because it looked like a white liquid on the ground in the morning, milk. It tasted like honey, and it tasted like something made of olive oil, representing the power of God. But there'll be no power of God. This will just be a reminder that this is ahead of you when you trust me implicitly and be where I want you to be. And so put that manna in the... Ark of the Covenant, will you, Moses, as a daily reminder and an ongoing reminder for the people even today that my provision is there, but my full provision is where you need to be where I want you to be. That's when the taste of oil becomes the real oil of the power of the Holy Spirit. Then last week we, we looked at the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down from the mountaintop twice because he broke the first lot. And they've been put in the Ark of the Covenant too. And we consider that the Ten Commandments are impossible for you and I to keep. None of us have. You might have been away and come back refreshed on your vacation, but I can still look you in the eye and say, even with your vacation and all the good stuff you do, you have not kept the Ten Commandments. And so I suggested to you they were 
not so much commandments for us to, to follow because we've not done that very well, but they are, in fact, a revelation of the character of God. If you go through those things, only God is like that. Only God has fulfilled them. So firstly, they're a revelation of God, but secondly, they're an indicator of how far short we fall of that. And in the Bible it says, all have sinned, missed the mark, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we considered that the glory of God is not a white light above his head, because when John saw Jesus in the street revealing the glory of God, it was in fact the character of God he was revealing. He acted like God. And so we've fallen short of the ability to act like God. Until, said Paul in the New Testament, thank you, now we're not in the Old Testament, we're in the New, and through the finished work of Calvary, people can not only pray to receive Jesus, but as they do that, do they realize that one of the things that's happened to them is that Christ is now in them, and that is the hope of them achieving in some way the glory, the character of God. And so Paul was able to save one from one degree to another. It is possible for you and I to start incrementally to reveal the glory, the character of God, piece by piece. We can become more like Jesus as we follow him. And as we do that, we come to today's one, which was about Aaron's staff that budded. And that's about the power of God. We talk a lot about the power of God in churches. And we sometimes hear of people who claim the power of God and invoke the power of God. Really, the power of God is exactly what it says. It is the power of God. It's not the power of you or me or anyone else. It's the power of God. And as we come to this lesson today, the, not only did they complain about the manna in the desert, not only did they have trouble with the Ten Commandments when they came in the desert, but also in the desert, they had trouble with the leadership of Moses and Aaron. The 12 tribes, there's a lot of people here. We're moving across the desert, and we've got 12 tribes of people nicely laid out, and we've got animals and all sorts of things. We've got this tabernacle where we worship, and there's a structure. There's, a, as it were, a board of directors made up of representatives of each of the tribe, and the tribe of Levi is represented by Moses and Aaron. Uh, God had a special place for the Levites. Uh, all of the priests in this tabernacle were Levites. Now, not all Levites were priests, but only Levites were, were priests. And so Moses and Aaron were heading up that tribe, if you like, and the people were getting a little discontent. You know, this is so like human life. This is not just happens in a girl's school, a girl's home. This happens in churches where the people began to grumble about the leaders. And uh, the superintendent has to put out another firefight here. And so they come to Moses and Aaron, and in effect they say, Who do you think you are? Who put you in charge? You've gone too far. We've all got abilities, and we think we ought to have a little stronger say in the leadership of this place. You're out of control. Well, God has to intervene. This is an ongoing process, and he, he does some pretty catastrophic things to try and get the message over that this is not how it is. But then uh, it comes to a point where they come back and Moses says to them, you know, you're not troubled with Moses and Aaron. You're troubled with God. But you're too smart not to complain to God. And so he comes and uh, he, God says to him, I'm tired of this. 
Moses, here's what you're to do. And here's our reading for today. And that will tell us what he said. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites. Get 12 staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their tribes. And write the name of each man on his staff so we know which it is. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name, for there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in the tent of meeting in front of the Ark of the Covenant, where I meet with you. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout, and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. So Moses spoke to the Israelites, and their leaders gave him 12 staffs, one for the leader of each of their ancestral tribes, and Aaron's staff was among them. Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the covenant law. Everyone went home to bed. And the next day Moses entered the tent and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. That's quite good overnight. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. They looked at them, and each of the leaders took his own staff. Now that's an interesting story. And it tells us something about what God does and how he's doing it to them. So he, he gets them to bring the staffs in. And a staff, if you understand in those days and even today, uh, is a representation of authority. You go to some sort of uh, cities or nations, and when they have a big deal, there's a sort of a, an emblem there. It's got different names, but it is sort of the reference of power. They might have it standing on here. The flag might be one in some people's uh, minds. But here they were, and so they brought the twelve in, and God had said to him, Make sure the one representing Levi is Aaron's staff. I want that one in there. And these men uh, had to come in the next wall. Moses came in first, then they brought in the staffs, and the next day, there it is. Eleven of them, just exactly as they were the night before. Pieces of wood. One of them, Aaron's, had had this unusual activity during the night and it had budded and sprouted and produced almonds Aaron's ministry which represented his calling from God showed supernatural abilities and was alive and the point that God is making to the people and to us is that when God calls us God equips us and when God sets us apart and does something it's him that does it through us it's not of us ourselves. You see, it wasn't Aaron who had anything to do with all this budding, blossoming in almonds. Aaron had gone home. He was asleep, dreaming of what maybe his wife would do with the manna the next morning to dress it up a little. And when he came out, now here it is. This is his staff. Now he knew that he was called of God to do what he was doing, but I doubt that he understood the power with which God would demonstrate that. God was symbolically in that staff producing fruit through the ministry and calling of Aaron. So we need to understand that God is committed only to his program. He's not committed to the program of the Levites. He wasn't committed to the program of Moses or even Aaron. He was committed only to his own program. And when we come along to a place like this, he's not committed to your program or to mine. He's committed to his program for my individual life and yours, and he's committed for his, to his program for this church. And the sooner we can get in line with that and understand it, the sooner we'll have less, shall we say, dead wood and more budding and blossoming and almonds to look. It wasn't Aaron who did it. 
God is committed to, to them only through as they followed him. When you come over to the New Testament, the, um, it's the same sort of thing that Paul wants to teach to the people in, in Corinthians, but the analogy he uses is the body. And he says, you know, the body, is the human body, is made up of many parts, and whatever you think of any particular part, it's there for a purpose, because God created it, it has a purpose, and it should stay with that purpose. And so there's no sense in trying to have one part of your body do the role of another, uh, because that's not how it would be. We'll have problems, and you can't do away with any of them. You know, the foot, uh, the hand and the foot are different, and they really can't do, they can do some things together but they, that are the same, but they are different roles. The eyes and the ears are very different, and they have different functions. And it would be no good for the ear to complain that that might be time to do the function of an eye. And there would be good reason of that because the eye is more important in most people's eyes. Uh, and it certainly would be to the ear. People look you in the eye, but they don't look you in the ear. Well, you really don't want them to. People comment on the color of your eyes, but not often on the color of your ears. And so there are some parts that would feel a little left out. We happen to think... And when you bring it over to the church, that some roles in the church are more important than others. And some of us might feel that our role isn't important because nobody notices. We don't get to stand up the front. We don't give reports. We don't even, people don't even know who, what I did today in terms of the running or the operation of this church. So why would I do it? But Paul says two things. First, he says, we're different. The hand and the foot will never be the same. The eye and the ear will never be the same. They have different functions. And you and I in this church all have a function. We've been called by God and equipped by God, gifted by God to play our part in the body. You are needed. You may not think you are, but you're needed. And you're not just needed to fill a seat and put money in the offering. You're needed because the body is incomplete without you here playing the role that God has for you. And so, but we're different. And uh, it may seem that somebody else is more important than you, but in God's eyes, no. So secondly, he says, not only are we different, we're dependent. We can't live without each other. What would it be if all you had was a preacher? You'd fall asleep. What would it be if you only had musicians? We'd, we'd certainly have a better time than the preaching, but at the end, it wouldn't work. What if there was no building? What if there was no children's program? We all need each other we're dependent on one another and the church has often made the mistake of elevating some functions to be more important and seemingly more honored than what God would do and so we need to be very careful that we allow everyone to use their gifts even those that are not say we say public gifts see God had asked these fellows that came and complained just to do one thing and that was lead as I've uh, allowed you to lead within the boundaries and the confines of, shall we say, your job description. He was not committed to their program, which was we want more power and more control. We want to do it differently from the way we're doing it. And he had called Moses and Aaron to do the same. They had to do what he wanted them to do because that's how it would be. So that's the, the background of the thing. And we need to be careful about that. Uh, that we stay within the role that God has for us. So here it is. If we want the power of God in our lives, 
we need to one understand what he's how he's made us what our giftedness or our strengths are or calling and then we need to proceed on that lines we don't want to look at other people and compare ourselves in terms of value or ability we look to God for our strength and we do it in his name and we do it in unity with the others we've been here just four weeks just gone but the thing is I have found this is a church where you are I don't say apparently, I think, I believe underneath, you are unified. There's a great sense of community in this church. And there's a great sense of enthusiasm and love. But don't take it for granted, because the enemy, as Lavina has said, the enemy is out to get us. And he will want to come in and disrupt. And if he can, shall we say, upset one part of the body who doesn't want to be what it is. You know, you do that when you get sore feet, when you walk 10,000 paces from here to somebody else's, as you women did you get a sore foot and the sore foot it can take attention and people who grumble in the church can take attention away from what we want to do everyone must play their part and so God was saying that when he came and he said Aaron is the one to do the role that you guys want you're not having it it's Aaron's so before we just move on and think that all we have to do is say to God, I submit myself and you can use me in the power that you give and I'll go home and have some sleep and so you do it. It's not quite like that because I want to ask the question, where did Aaron get his star from? Does this thing, does this piece of wood have a journey or history? And indeed it does. And it's hinted at in the scripture, but it's uh, corroborated by two of the, I think, the greatest um, Christian archaeologists of the last century, uh, Professors Wiseman and uh, F.F. Bruce, both Englishmen who committed their lives to the study not only of the, the scriptures, but also of the archaeological findings and the history. And they come back and say, yeah, what's hinted there is actually true. This staff that Aaron brought in and put down there and did all the blossoming, this staff once belonged to Moses. Aha, so we go back and think about Moses. Where did he get this staff? Now quickly, just so we run through it and finish on time, because that's part of the role of the preacher. See, he's got to finish on time. Can't go over time. That's not his role. But here we go. Moses, born a Jew. Not a good thing to be a male baby Jew, because the Egyptians had said, we'll kill them all. So he's hidden. The Egyptian princess comes down, finds him, thinks he's cute, takes him home, adopts him into the family, and he's raised in the Egyptian palace. Has all the education, all the best food, has everything that you could have while his counterparts slaved, making bricks. When he got to sort of young adulthood, he would have realized, huh, I'm more like them than I am like in the palace. And to cut it short, he believes and finds out that he is in fact a Jewish boy who's been poured into the palace and his love increases for the slaves and decreases for his own people sees an Egyptian slave master mistreating one of his Jewish people kills him buries him but as often happens in these cases was spotted told I'm going to turn you in and so Moses flees to the desert he's no one now he goes out into Midian and there he is what shall I do now Moses no no I'm not Moses Egyptian, no, no, I'm not him. I'm nobody. See, God can do a lot with a person who's a nobody and, and who has no identity of their own or no agenda of their own. He meets and marries a lovely Midianite girl, has a bit of work to do with his, that girl's father, ends up being a shepherd in the desert. And it's going to go for 40 years. 
that's a long time to work in probably the lowest regarded occupation there is. Even today, if you were to go to that area, you'd see a shepherd trudging along with some pretty motley-looking sheep, and they're trying to find grass, and the shepherd's trying to turn over and find some places where there might be. It's a thankless, almost hopeless task, and Moses is designated to do this under God. But what a wonderful time when the sheep are asleep at night and you're sitting there in the starlight, and God is talking to your heart and changing you and molding you. And at one point, Moses said, you're right, God, I'm ready. And God said, no, I don't think so, buddy. You've got some more to go. And he went and went. And he's a shepherd. And after 40 years, can you imagine that? That's a lifetime of working for your company. And he's in the desert getting really nothing. God comes to him in a strange way because one day he sees a little bush burning and that's not uncommon with Flintstone sort of setting a spark. But they just go woof, like as you put some newspaper into a fire, it goes woof. But this one didn't go woof, it stayed. And he said, hmm, let's go look. He gets closer and out of that bush comes the voice of God saying, whoa, this is holy ground. You are ready now, Moses. I want you to go back to uh, the Pharaoh Because you'll have access, remember? You'll have to be honest, but you'll have access and say, let my people go. Well, that's not what he wanted to hear after 40 years because you actually get quite attached to, to that lifestyle. He's probably got a beard down to here. And he says, but what if they say, no, God didn't say that? What if they don't believe me? And God says to him, (coughs) excuse me, what's that in your hand? Well, you know what? It's in my hand. It's my staff. I'm a shepherd. Remember, 40 years a shepherd. This is my tool of trade. This is my livelihood. This is what I take out every day, and people see me, and they say, ah, he's a shepherd. That's it. This is my staff. If there's any authority for a shepherd, this is it. And God says, drop it on the ground. And he drops it, and the Bible says it turned into a snake, and he ran away from it. And the lesson there is that God is not doing a magic trick. God is showing him that in his livelihood, in that symbol of what he does, the thing that he takes home and puts beside his bed, and uh, the thing that next morning he won't leave home without, uh, this has got the potential to be very nasty. So he says to Moses, grab it by the tail. (laughs) No, Moses has been in the desert long enough to know that you don't grab a snake by the tail you haven't noticed snakes are sort of built very squiggly and they have the ability that when they feel something grab their tail the head part will say well what's going on here and he'll come back and when he sees a human hand he's likely to say this is a good place to implant some poison and he does that and Moses knows when that happens he'll turn a funny color and die you don't pick up a snake by the tail that's good free advice today But God said, pick it up by the tail. And he obeys him. And suddenly the staff returns to being a snake. It's not a magic trick. God is showing him. In that livelihood, that thing you place your trust is potentially poison. And I give it to you. I want to show you that. And I want you to put it down in front of me. Then I want you to take it by the tail and I will give it back to you but it should be different. And so now Moses considers this, 
and uh, says, well, I think I will go back. If God says I should go back to Egypt, I will go. And towards the end of that chapter, about Exodus 4 in, in the Bible, if you want to follow it through, it's true what I'm telling you. It says he loaded his donkey, put his wife and two boys on the donkey, and headed out to, Egyptian, uh, to Egypt. And it says this other line, and he took with him the staff of God. Oh, wait on, Moses, a couple of days ago, what's in your hand? My staff. This is the staff of Moses. This is my livelihood. This is my income. This is my authority. Now, thanks to the snake bit, it's become God's staff. This is God's staff. And he gets back to Egypt, and God says to him, now, I know, here's the deal. Um, I know you, you are a bit slow of speech, and you're not inclined to get your words out very easily, and you wanted Aaron to go in your place. Here's what you do. Give Aaron that staff. And, when, and you both go. And when um, Pharaoh comes out, his heart is against you. When he goes down to his morning swim in the Nile, go and confront him and say, let my people go and have Aaron go. Well, he wasn't having any of that was Pharaoh. So God said, have Aaron hold that staff, the staff of God, the one that was in a snake. Have him hold that out over the river and, he, and it will turn to blood. And it did. In fact, he said not only the river, but the lakes and the reservoirs, the whole thing. Still no movement from the Pharaoh. Then he says to him, uh, he says a number of things, but amongst them he says, bang it on the ground, that staff. And suddenly it's full of creepy crawly things and nobody's very happy. It's come harvest time. And we've got the whole Egyptian, uh, the Israelite slave nation ready to go harvest. And God says, no, have, have uh, um, Moses wave that staff in the air, will you? And he does. And suddenly the sun get this, sort of goes dark because these are locusts coming in. And by the time the locust is finished, there's no harvest left to, to be made. And so it goes on with these things. This staff, this one, this trick in the morning with the almonds is small stuff compared to what had already happened through God, the staff of God. And then finally they get released and they go down to the river, but they're the Red Sea's blocking them to get away because the Egyptians have changed their mind and chasing them and Hey, Moses, get that staff and hold it over it over the ocean and the waters part and they go through. They get to the other side and they're in the desert now. They're free, and, but there's no water. Would you have that? And the people are complaining. And yeah, Moses, knock the rock with you with that staff and out comes water. They get a little further and aha, the people called the Amalekites, they're sort of rebel soldiers that roam the desert and... and prey on people and wouldn't you know it this is their day who can believe it they say these Israelite yeah Israelite slaves have come and they've got nowhere to go and they, you know they've got all these women and children and animals they they've been slaves they don't know how to fight a war they haven't got any military equipment let's strategize and take everything we've got this is payday for the Amalekites and it certainly looked like it when they first started and God says to Moses, hey, <coughs> you and Aaron and get her and go up on the mountain or the, just beside where you can overlook it and hold that staff in the air. And if you do that, I'll give you the victory. And they hold it up there and suddenly these Amalekites find it's not as easy as they thought. And, but you try doing that. That used to be a penalty in our sports work at high school. If you, if you, um, if you didn't do what the, the gym master wanted, he gave you a broom and said, go and hold that up in the corner. You try that for about... Two minutes, it gets free, it hurts. So it, Moses pulled it down and God said, no, 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 get the other guys to hold, you know, it's like a build-up brace there. 
And as long as they held it up, they prevailed. The staff of God won them the victory on that day, and so it goes on right through to this. So, I've done all that, you'll be pleased to say. Right, what's God saying to us this morning? Got five minutes to tell you what you need to know. Because this wasn't just a story about a magic trick that God did. He'd done it before in front of the Pharaoh too or his people. Uh, no, um, we're not going to have a lineup of uh, sticks here to see which one God blesses. But um, I think God would say to us this morning, as we listen to him and just see how his presence is so vital to us and his power is, comes only, the power of the church and of our lives comes from him. He might just approach us and say, what's in your hand? And you might respond, well, uh, it's my job. Uh, I live in Hong Kong, Kelvin, you know that. And uh, in Hong Kong, a job is important, and I have one, a good one. God has given me this job. We work hard in Hong Kong because if you don't work hard enough, you get pushed aside. There's someone waiting to take your place. But I'm blessed by my job. It helps me look after my family and everything. I give to the, out of that job to the offerings of the church. And uh, I thank you, to you, God, for that job that you've given me. And God will say to you this morning, drop it. Drop it. I know what you're saying, but I hear you. But what I want you to know is that in that job that you own and you're proud of, and as it were, sits beside your bed and you don't leave home without it, it's not a credit card. It's a job that I've given you. Drop it. And then I'll say to you, take it by the tail. Because there's potential poison in that job. Things that will destroy your faith and trust in me if you don't deal with them. And I will give you back the job. And you can go back to work tomorrow. It'll be the same job, same workmates, same salary. But now it won't be your name job. It will be God's job that's given to you. So what's in your hand? Well, it's my family. I'm okay on this one, God, because we asked you for these children or we've asked you for our, to bless our family or whatever stage it is and whatever structure it looks like, and you've done that. You've come in and we're teaching our children to obey because we learn from your word. If we teach them when they're young, they won't depart when they're old. And we're doing our best and we bring them to church. We're teaching them up there. They're out there with Twinkie. They're in here on Friday night throwing darts with Doug and doing whatever they did, a lot of noise but they're being trained in the ways of God, our children. And we come and we bless you. We say thank you to you. We pray for them every night. Uh, God said, thank you, but drop them. Because potentially there's poison around that can get in and divide your family and can take them away from what I want them to be. I'll give them back to you. I'll give your family back. And in my time and in my way, I will achieve my purposes that are far greater, even though you may not think so, than your purposes. I'm not offering to say that your family will be free of trouble. No, there'll be pain in the offering as we sing, but still blessed be your name. But one day you'll look back and you'll say, oh God, you know, if I had not done that, what a disaster it could have been. But in your hand and in your time, maybe we won't even see it in, in my lifetime. But God, you will answer my prayers and you will do things with my family and even with me as perhaps the leader of the family that I would never have achieved. 
I have no alternative, says God, but have you drop it. And my love should constrain you, leave you no choice but to do that and pick it up by the tail and leave it. One more, says God. What's in your hand? Well, we're okay here because it's my ministry in the church. I come to AIC. Uh, I lead the, the worship. I lead the children's program. I have youth on my mind. I lead a Bible study group. I'm, uh, uh, I go visiting in the detention center. I do this. I do that. I'm, uh, well, actually, I'm an elder. I mean, I'm one of the sub-leaders. Well, actually, I'm the pastor. And so, God, you, you know, this, you called me into this. Then that Mike that's coming back, you've called him. And, you know, he should be up here on the top. God says, drop it. I don't care whether you're the person that turns the lights on and off or whether you're the senior pastor or who you are in this church. In your life of ministry, there's potential for poison because there's pride that can creep in. There's control freak things that come in. There's just failure because you're a sinful person. And if you don't surrender it to me, and if you don't come with humility, you could be causing a mess in this community of churches. So God, I come and I drop it at your feet and Yes, I'll hold it by the tail and you'll give it back to me. I can still be an elder, a pastor, a children's worker. I can all still be these things. But I don't come and say, look at me. I come with humility and say, God, what will you have me do? What will you have me say? Will, I walk, will you walk with me? And uh, God will come and bless this church in ways beyond what you could think. So are you willing to be what God wants you to be? You know, it might be uh, like the big toe or a small toe on the foot. Not very exciting. Covered by a sock, it's dark, can be smelly down there. But uh, God's calling you to do that, you do it. Because he wants you to do it and he wants to build you into this place. I've uh, had a lot of communication this week with Pastor Mike. In fact, uh, you know, I think he's really thinking he'd rather be here than back there. He said he and Melissa had climbed a mountain, but he's in Ohio, and I don't know if there's ever any mountain that would be anything higher than this roof, you know, but uh, he said, uh, God, well, they had a time of prayer, and God reunited them. He's had his kids at VBS uh, in a church there, and he's just been enjoying that. He's read some books. He's done, seen some baseball, pretty bad teams, but okay, it's good. He's ready. He's going to come back. He'll be here on Monday, and next Sunday he'll be here. Well, that'll be good. But you know what? What would be better was if he came in and found a church full of people who've dropped it and had it given back by God and who are willing to say, Mike, we're going wherever God leads you to lead us because we're following God. We'll follow you as part of that. But God has come to us. And he's our source of strength. His presence is what we need. His power is available only as we submit to him. That's your decision. And uh, we can do that this morning. So I'm asking you, I'm going to give you four lines. I've been passionate about missions from a little kid. And I really thought God was calling me to China. Uh, and in his great wisdom, he didn't. Because I'm useless with languages that don't have ABC on them. But uh, then I produced, started to produce radio programs through the radio FEBC primarily to go to China. And I thought, thank you, God, that's nice. Now he's got us going into China to do just you know, 
a little bit of holding the hands up of some others that are really doing the work. But that's beside the way. But I've looked at mission societies, and there was one that attracted me as a younger man, and I've kept it because it's, I need it. And they have a covenant before you go out with them. They, you have to sign this, and it talks about the mission and what it will do and not do for you. And then it comes back to the last lines about how God will lead us. This is God's work. And so there's four lines that it says you have to embrace as the final lines before you sign off on this. I do it, um, have to do it sadly too often, but I ask you, if you could say to Mike, uh, during the week God spoke to me and he asked me four things and I made four responses to God. And here they are, one, two, three, four, one. Everything you give me, God, I will take. Two, everything you take from me, God, I will give. Three, God, I have full rights to everything of you. Four, God, you now have full rights to everything I am and have. What a difference that would make. I try to live it, but I keep failing. But wouldn't it be wonderful? Everything he takes, I will give. And he's asking to take it today as you drop it before him. So, your choice. I'm going to pray, they're going to sing, and we're going to sing about how God can have everything and be everything in our lives if we would let him. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we've talked about your presence over these last four weeks. We enjoy your presence. We love your presence, but now we find that your presence is making demands of us. And so, Lord, with things that you've legitimately given us but are potentially dangerous unless recommitted to you, we come this morning and we hear you say to us that we should drop these things and uh, retake them by the tail and allow you to control them. And so, Lord, we consider our source of income, the income itself. We think about our family. We think about our church. We think about other things that you can place on our mind that are known to us that we're holding back. Would you just reveal again the snake that's in them and allow us to hand them to you? Take our lives. Take everything that we have. Give us back everything that you have for us. And we'll leave here happy and contented in Jesus. The church will be growing and blossoming and producing fruit for your glory. The role we have in it won't matter because we're united and functioning together as a healthy body under your care and your attention. Speak to our hearts, Lord, in these moments. Speak to our hearts as we sing. Let us not sing words we don't mean because that would be lying to you. Let us consider the words now as we sing and worship to our God.